0: Now get 0% APR or up to $1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.
1: Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and community safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Tip off your summer with Grizzlies Youth Basketball Camps presented by Nike. Choose from 10 different sessions for kids ages 7 through 16. All campers will receive a Grizzlies Nike reversible jersey, Grizzlies basketball, and skilled instruction. Register during the first round of the playoffs to take advantage of early bird pricing. For dates, locations, and to register, visit mimgrizyouth.com camps.
2: Morant with a running start. Ooh, oh, 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 my goodness! Oh, oh. tie
0: game in overtime. Gasol. If there are any punches being thrown under there, but Griffin took Except Adam's going long. Moran! Oh, he hit it! He hit it! He hit it! He hit
1: it. John it's 70. You gotta be kidding me. Welcome to Grits and Grinds, a Memphis Grizzlies podcast. My name is Keith Parrish. On today's episode, I speak with Dane Moore of the Dane Moore NBA podcast. He covers the Timberwolves. We talk about our general feelings about this very wild series so far and how neither one of us feel like we have a very good grip on what's going on. And we just discuss kind of our questions about the teams we cover and the teams that we're now facing and how we feel they're doing and what things they should probably Look to try and adjust as they head into game six. Before I get there, I should tell you a couple bits of news. One, the injury report for game six came out and two big items of note. Zaire Williams, who left game five, he is doubtful. And I think maybe we thought that was likely to be the case. He's doubtful for the game. So that'll mean, you know, you would guess Melton gets a chance again or maybe Conchar gets a longer look. And then the surprising piece of news is Stephen Adams is out as he has entered the health and safety protocols. So we infer that means Stephen Adams uh, has COVID right now and they basically only test you if you are symptomatic So we hope Steven is feeling better. But that's a pretty big deal. One, not just for Steven. Um, He hasn't been in the rotation, but there's always a chance maybe they would give him a shot, you know, at some time. But also if the Grizzlies win on Friday night, game one of the next series is Sunday afternoon, and it stands to reason he's not going to clear health and safety protocols before then. So he would then miss game one. Of the next round. I think a lot of people were kind of assuming. You know when the Grizzlies. If the Grizzlies. Excuse me. If the Grizzlies advance. And face the Warriors. That he might start. Game one of that series. And just start from scratch. And see how effective he can be. But it looks like that. Either for the game seven on Sunday. Which will be at 2.30 Sunday. The Grizzlies are either playing game seven on Sunday at 2.30 or against the Timberwolves or they're playing the Warriors for game one of the Western Conference semifinals at 2 30 central time on Sunday but Steven Adams is going to be out and you also I think your mind has to go to the thought about COVID-19 being a very contagious virus and wondering if it'll spread among the other teammates if any other teammates will test positive but We've seen other players so far this playoffs enter health and safety protocols, and there haven't really been outbreaks. So maybe uh, Steven will be the only guy on the Grizzlies who gets affected. Another bit of news uh, if you're in the Nashville area, you need to come to Noble's Beer Hall. On Friday night, we're having a watch party. There are also watch parties in Memphis. So if you're in the Memphis area, definitely hit up your watch parties. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, come to Noble's Beer Hall. The game on Friday is at 8 p.m. Central. It's the only NBA game of the evening. We're going to be there. uh, I'm going to be there with John and Chuck from Fast Break Breakfast. We'll be giving away a bunch of Grizzlies prizes. So come join other Grizzlies fans in the area. And we'll cheer on the Grizzlies and hopefully finish this roller coaster of a series. Anyways, that's all the announcements. Uh, now for my talk with Dane Moore. All right, I'm joined right now by Dane Moore, the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Uh, you cover the Timberwolves.
2: Dane, what's your emotional state, man? My emotional state is, I think, confusion. Like, <laughs> I just, I just haven't had a good way to really wrap my head around this series for the past couple of games, where I just feel so, I feel so confused by the emotion of the players that is getting in the way of any sort of, you know, real traction that they, I think we can get as analysis. Because, you know, is Dylan going to be all over the place? Is Jaron Jackson Jr. going to get fouls all over again? Is Cat going to do that? Is Delo going to show? It, it's just. The mental aspect makes this series extremely confusing and fun, I think.
1: It is fun in a way that I'm trying to think of the right analogy. Um, I don't know, like like a rickety carnival ride that you're not sure is safe.
2: Uh, exactly. When it's you over, want to watch, you're like, you know what, that was kind it. of fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, you know, watching this from a distance, that looks fun. And then you're on it, you're like, I hate this. This is the worst. I don't want to do this. No, no, no. I, I went off. I went off. Um, yeah, so the Grizzlies are ahead 3-2. They're in, I guess, what you would call command of the series. If you add up the stats in aggregate, it looks <laughs> like they're winning. But if you've experienced the series... <laughs> From a Grizz's perspective, it feels like we're awful. That, like, that's my takeaway, and I don't know if it's accurate, and I don't know if I'm shorting the Timberwolves' credit, because I keep thinking, like, everyone is playing so poorly. What is going on? Like, Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark are good, and every, all the rest of you guys are embarrassing me, <laughs> Like like, what's happening. And then the Timberwolves, you guys... I can't even wrap my head around it. I mean, I sorta I experienced uh, the 2012 Grizzlies collapse against the Clippers where they were up 24 in the fourth quarter and like I was sure. at that game and had to drive home 3 hours after the game. So like I have a 10-year-old memory of like what that disgust and, and horrible feeling feels like. But then to pair that with the gut punch of game 5 I don't know how no, to Keith, get. My, Keith, I don't how to get Keith. that
2: headspace. So like, stop. Yeah. Like <laughs> okay. we're used to this. Like this is what the wolves do, for better or for worse. It is. They are so volatile. That is like there is an intention behind the volatility. Like they have chosen a volatile style <laughs> of play this year. They they seriously have, and they just like they have a you know quote unquote young team, which I know Memphis does too, but I think schematically and what they prioritize this season has has really leaned into kind of that youth and like letting them kind of blow things up in, in a positive way where they can just get out on these runs, as you guys have experienced in this series. It's like, man, the Wolves can, like, hit you with a flurry of punches. Oftentimes, mm. right, in, in the first quarter or to start a third quarter or something, you're like, damn, you know? But this is what it's been all year, man, where, like, it is, I think, for Wolves fans, it's totally a gut punch. Obviously, those sort, like, well, I guess you could say three times they've really blown it when yeah. twice in game three and then in game yeah. five. Yeah, yeah. And I think Bulls fans are feeling that, but they do know that at least for this iteration of the Wolves that is inexperienced, youthful, and uber talented, um, it's a little bit like par for the course. Like we almost should have seen some of this volatility coming in, especially when you consider that Memphis has some of that in them as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, but I still don't know how... I don't know. I don't know how people cope
1: with things. Maybe it's a lifetime of just Minnesota sports. Um, I have people in my my Patreon for Fast Break Breakfast where it's like, "What Vikings game is this like?" or something, you know? And they're like this long litany of like, "Oh yeah, man, that's oh, there was little, the, little, there was little, the, little, the little Brett Favre year,
2: and it's like <laughs> it's all stuff like that." I or, know, I, they, I but I mean, the Wolves are the seventh seed. They're the seventh seed. It's right. like, It's not What's... this massive crumble if they like. Okay. I went into yeah. this series saying like get six games, yeah. like six games of competitive basketball learning, particularly for Anthony Edwards. And I'm not going to lie. Like I said that at the beginning and the experience of it has been a little bit harder right. than, than you would have wanted, but it's still, I think invaluable, whatever happens in game six and seven, invaluable for Anthony Edwards. And you know, Kat and Dilo are vets now, but like, they each only had played five playoff games. Yeah, not in real their career. Bets, you know, this. like they have. Yeah. They haven't
1: had the. They haven't had the high um, pressure, the high leverage situation reps. Mm-hmm. Like, do you do you think there is something to this? I feel like this is a a narrative that we all accept. I guess it's true. Like, is there this huge benefit of the Grizzlies having the reps of going through the play in each of the last two seasons and then emerging last year and then being in the playoffs last year, even though they got their co- clocks cleaned by the Jazz? Right, like. I think heading into the series, that was like you know where I was saying, all right, the Grizzlies should have an advantage here. I also felt like the Grizzlies should have an advantage in close games because of just John ja Morant. Now the way the series played out, it's been like I don't know what the benefit is, you know, like yeah. they 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 win Game Five down to the buzzer, and it felt like that experience maybe was helpful. Like, do you think it's the Grizzlies' experience in the fourth quarters, or is it like is it actual just is it more just Timberwolves implosion?
2: So. I'm curious your perspective on this because you might be like, no. Um, everyone was saying, you know, as we knew this was going to be the matchup going in the playoffs, that like the Grizzlies are a year ahead of the Timberwolves in terms of the whole like experience sure. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think in terms of regular season win totals, like would I take the over on 55 wins for the Wolves next year? No, <laughs> but like there's been this whole idea that the Grizzlies are a full year of head ahead. And and the way I've been putting it is I feel like they're like six months ahead of the Wolves, where they, like, they do have that experience from last year. But kind of to my point where I don't think it was this, from my perspective in Memphis, I don't feel like last year was a huge experience boost for them, right? Because it's the eighth seed. It's not like this type of series where you could really feel it going either way. I'm sure when you guys went into the playoffs last year, like, You didn't have it in your head that the Grizzlies were probably going to win that series, or could really win that series. Yeah. With the Wolves, you can at least, I think you could at least go into the series saying, like, this could be close. And then you've seen it be close at times where it doesn't totally feel like a 2-7 matchup, right? Like Oh, yeah. It feels like the Grizzlies are the more mature and practiced team but i think the wolves belief is growing over the over the course of this time where it doesn't feel to me like the grizzlies have a ton more experience than the wolves do
1: i do feel like actually last year's experience i think specifically the play in i think winning two play in mm. oppor- you know like those b- being the first team you know to to do that to be the 9 seed uh, win one game that was pretty close against the Spurs at home, and then go to Golden State and beat Golden State. I do think that actually gave them a lot of just like, all right, we've been here. And even, mm. you know, they they won game one against the Jazz, and then they got blown out basically the other games. I do think it actually has helped a lot, and that this experience, whatever it's been, you know, and it's specifically these fourth quarters, you know, like, I do think yeah. it will help. I, I I think that that is a, a building like a growing tool. I think that's one of the great benefits of actually the, just the play-in tournament that you're seeing these teams, you know, have an for opportunity sure. to play games that matter. It's another reason why I poke fun at, like, the Thunder, where I'm like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Like, I know I know you're increasing your odds by 7% to get a better pick, right. but, like, shouldn't Josh Giddey play a game that matters? Shouldn't right. Shakers Alexander play? You're like, he had that experience with Chris Paul, and you just decided, hey, let's not do this again for three
2: years? Anyway, I digress. Um... No, but it's the idea of the short tank versus the long tank, right? Yeah. Memphis yeah, yeah, and yeah. Minnesota both did that. And they got their dude, right? They got Ja, they got Ant. And then, yes, teams like Oklahoma City or long tankers, they go, All right, we got our one guy. We need another though. We're not gonna start trying until we get another. And and I think in Memphis and Minnesota, you're seeing the case for like well, this is like the wolves in Memphis are gonna be good. Maybe not great, great. Yeah. But they're gonna be good. Substantially sooner than Oklahoma City is for going into the into the deep tank, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that is the great thing about the plan is we're we're making a case for this. It was it was so fun, like all year from the Wolves' perspective of like trying to scrap for the sixth seed. Like normally teams wouldn't care about that at all, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, six, seven, whatever, you know. But it was this battle for like the whole final. The Wolves were the seventh seed on January thirty first. And they stayed the seventh seed until the end of the season, except for twenty hours where they they tied Denver for the sixth seed, and they had the tiebreaker, so it was like they were the sixth seed for twenty hours, and it's, and then it's but this is what it's been, and so it was a fight. It was just a fight the whole time, and that was a real case for the for the plan. I thought,
1: yeah. Um, the question I get asked the most right now about from this is from like from Grizzlies fans um, that I don't have a great answer to. Like I, I I've made up an answer, but I don't. Really believe it so i want to know what you're seeing from the from the i can the other make side. up an answer too no i want to see from your view from the other your view from the other side um why are the grizzlies starting xavier Tillman and why do they keep why do oh. they do it two games in a row
2: yes thank you i love this topic because i don't get it either okay um i i went into game well at the beginning like game one i'm like what are you doing memphis putting adams on cat like, sure yeah one on one situation i mean this, this is I don't know if Grizzlies fans like totally know this, but it was like the ninth game of the season, and or they played Orlando, and Orlando for the first time this season did the thing where they guard Cat with the four, and they have you know the Jaron Jackson type rim defender Mobamba like floating in the lane off of Jared Vanderbilt, and there was that game, and then they played the Clippers twice, and then the Clippers did that with Batum on Cat and Zubot's, you know, floating in the lane. So this has been. This has been a thing all year where you're like, why isn't everybody guarding Cat this way? Like, it works so well when you do the put a small on him and have the big lurk off of Vanderbilt. And it would be crazy to me anytime a team would put a Steven Adams type of big on Cat one on one in coverage and Cat would go to the perimeter and cook him every time. And it happened in game one. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, Jenkins? (laughs) But then, but then you're like, whoa, this Clark and Jackson thing. You could put Clark on Cat and have Jackson lurk. That's awesome from Memphis. And so they've pivoted into that, but not enough, in my opinion, or too, like, too late a, a little bit. I mean, you're still starting Tillman. You're still playing Tillman. I don't get why if you are going to play a traditional center, you wouldn't play Adams over Tillman if in those minutes it just doesn't all really make sense that that
1: part i understand because tillman in space is a much better defender than stephen adams like he can do this why don't stuff. you put adams on the four why but don't you put adams on vanderbilt i gotta say in game five when it was whatever near the end of the third quarter and jaron and dylan and jaw are all having bad games and like <laughs> tillman's out there i'm like i would rather go down with stephen adams guys like I would, mm-hmm. if we're if we're gonna lose, I would rather lose with Stephen Adams on the court and be like, oh, he's getting cooked out there. Not like, hey, Xavier Tillman, who played like 18 games this year. Like I would <laughs> rather not go down on my season like in, in that manner. The, the 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 Brandon and Jerry combination. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm losing my mind about this. Uh, it's like all I talk about. Where you it's should. like, it's clearly the best weapon. It's the best weapon the Grizzlies have, and now we have multiple games where they don't go to it until, like, the second quarter. And everyone's like, oh, well, Jaron's oh. foul trouble, so, like, he's off the court. I'm like, yeah. Do you know any way to guarantee that those two guys can play together before any fouls are called? Like, <laughs> like why don't we just start? This the start. Base? It's so, it's blowing my mind. And, like, the stats... This is where I get carried away probably too much on my own end. Where when I see net rating and things that reinforce my 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 opinion, like my previously (laughs) held opinion, isn't backed up with stats, then I become an extremist. I can't hear any other arguments. (laughs) I I like look at Taylor Jenkins, like man, like like, bro, you're smart, man. Like I know you're smart, and like (laughs) you won fifty six games this year. You've exceeded expectation every single season. Why are Brandon and Jared playing nine minutes together? In an entire I- M- NBA game, this just goes like, if you just play the top seven guys, the stat I keep saying, if Xavier Tillman, Zaire Williams, or Steven Adams are off the court in this series, the Grizzlies have a plus 23 net rating. Like, they've yeah. dominated all the minutes when they play with their top seven guys. And early in this year, I talked I talk with John Krasinski, who was saying, like, you know, like, which team has two of the best three players, three of the best four players? And it was honestly, there was an argument for Minnesota, especially after game one. Like, I don't know what the hierarchy is of the talent, but I certainly know like players four through seven. It's the Grizzlies, you know, yes. and and why like like bless sir Williams heart. Like, why is he on the court, guys? Like, 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 what are we doing? And like, does it feel that way to you that like the, the Grizzlies have the option of playing good players and they just aren't?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me let me give you the to the I want to say this first. To the why aren't they starting Brandon and Jaron together when they don't have fouls or why aren't they going to it earlier? I mean, the Wolves have outscored the Grizzlies by 33 in the first quarter in this series. Yeah, the like, Wolves are scoring 35 I, a game in the first quarters. I and the Wolves have always like when they're playing well, they always kind of punch first and they're good they're good at that. But like you could block that punch if you're Jenkins. It seems like, right? And 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 they're, they're they're somewhat choosing not to, but then what he I think is doing a really good job of is kind of mixing it in and out throughout the rest of the game, which is which is kind of to your point of or kind of to the point of why it feels gradually over the course of the game that Memphis is getting better and better, but it does feel like wait a minute, what if we didn't like dink around in the first quarter? Or what if we didn't? What, wasn't it like at I, I, the beginning of the second quarter in Game Five? I'm like, really? Like you're gonna run this group out there? I, I was saying that. Oh, Jay we Shredrick, just we it off conchar. To, yes, exactly. I'm like, man, I knew the Grizzlies are not playing
1: good there players. There was a, there was a there was a camera shot in the end of the first quarter where it showed D'Anthony Melton on on the bench, and I yeah. am, I'm the world's leading D'Anthony Melton one propagandist. I'm an extremist. Like I believe in everything. He's shooting, he's shooting 16% from the series and has been a net positive. Like, uh, and so it's like my take is always if he makes any shots, you win those minutes by a ton. And so, yeah. but there was a shot of him on the bench, and I could tell by his body language in the first quarter, oh, we're not playing melt today. Like like he was leaning, <laughs> he was leaning back in his chair, and I was like, Oh, so we're doing we're doing Conchar. And that lineup you, you speak to, I'm pretty sure it was um it was like Tyus, Bain, Conchar. Maybe Brandon and Jared. Maybe
2: Dylan because Dylan played so much.
1: Yeah, that was. I mean, like, hey, you know, Dylan was bad, but, like, we roll with Dylan. There's nothing to yeah. do. You know, like, like people are like, why is Dylan shooting so much? I'm like, hey, he's pretty much open. Whatever. Like, we can't, there's no, do you want to play Zion Williams? He's also guarding no. Cat.
2: Yeah. He's also d- doing a great job defensively. I mean, I wanna, he slowed wanna, down D D-O L plus going to the Cat. Yeah. We got to answer that
1: in a second. But, like, the start of the second quarter lineup, one, objectively, I like that lineup. It's been a great regular season lineup, but it's also like, mm. why are we rolling this stuff out? Well, like, I know he wants, Taylor Jenkins wants to trust his tid deep rotation. Um, I, I do like that they pulled the plug on it kind of quickly. But like I just wish my argument is Conchar over Williams. I'd rather see what that looks like. Yeah. But like if you're gonna advance, if you win this series, like that's not the goal. I mean, the goal is to hopefully go a little bit further. Um, but like you're gonna need Melton to hit his shots. So like that's where I was weirded out by like, why are we adjusting here? But it also goes to the so we tried that lineup at the start of the second quarter. It wasn't until there was five and a half minutes left or maybe six minutes left where they, f- where they played for the first time a five-man unit consisting only of their best seven players. Like the Grizzlies mm. waited 18 minutes to do that. They were down by six at that point, and it's still, I'm, I don't know, I'm pulling my, head out. I hit my hair out. The uh, Dylan guarding cat. So the yeah. Grizzlies yeah. down the stretch, they went super small. Um, which is something they also did in the postseason last year to horrible, uh, deleterious effect. They got absolutely, um, I don't know, nuked by the Jazz, who were like, by all means, please play small ball against our, you know, Go Bear and Four Wings lineup, which is our bread and butter. But anyway, it, it, this game, um, or, or game five, they did do, where Tyson and Jaw playing together, Desmond and Bain, three and four, with just any big. It was Brandon Clark in this situation. I assume... They're going to go back to that early because I think Taylor Jenkins has an affinity for playing super small whenever he gets the excuse. Do you think that's a good weapon for the Grizzlies? Do you think with the Timberwolves being maybe more aware of it that they will be able to attack it a little bit more? Like, What do you think that's going to shake out in game six when those guys are on the court?
2: I thought it was absolutely terrible and inexcusable that in the end of the game that Memphis went with Clark as the biggest player on the floor and Bain and Brooks as the next two biggest. And the Wolves still would not even consider posting up Carl. Like that is, they've basically thrown that out of the mix as much as the Grizzlies have thrown Steven Adams out of the mix of this, this series. And it's something that Carl has struggled with all season is when he catches it in the post. He doesn't do his work early. He doesn't get deep. Right. So when he's, when he's getting doubled there, it, it messes, it, it does mess them up, but you, it just, I was like, I don't know, man. They're going as small as they can possibly go here. Are we sure we want Carl just floating around on the perimeter? And then they moved him to the nail, right? Like the elbow of that sort of area, which is typically what the Wolves have done when teams will switch a real small onto him, or like he'll get a screen and roll and the guard will switch on him and he immediately goes to the nail. They're trying to do that. And I think you'll see more of that if Memphis goes small again, but I'm like, and it's just kind of weak. It's just kind of weak that you can't <laughs> post this up, you know. I mean, it's your best player. It's your best player who you are looking. You desperately feel like you need more shots from him, but you're ruling out posting him up because it's it, it's not working. It, it's it's. I think that was I left game five like legitimately frustrated yeah, about that, sure. and and you know, and asking Finch about it after the game. who didn't love the questions about it either because yeah. it is an. It's, it's an admittance on the Wolves' part of something they haven't had an answer for all year. They That they should have an answer for, but but that they don't. So it's going to be a real like game of chicken in this next time, because this next game, because I think Memphis should lean into that further. Be like, prove it. All right. Like, this is... We're cool with playing with offense with this group. So, you know, beat us. Beat us with it. And I don't know what, like, the Wolves' answer is going to be to beat it. It was... It went really, really poorly in the fourth quarter of game five.
1: That's interesting because from my perspective, with that small lineup on the court, I honestly, I feel like if I was picking my poison, I think I would actually choose to face a Carl Anthony Towns post-up. Like, I feel like that was re- really- Over a
2: D'Angelo Russell isolation? Well, you know, Delo can isolate. I mean, that's, that's fine. That's the alternative. That's I mean, that's what they are going to choose the alternative to be because they don't I don't know. That's so, what like, happens.
1: At the end of, at the, end of fourth, the fourth quarter, I remember, so, I, I fear the Anthony Edwards, just any isolation, because if, if, if Dylan Brooks is guarding Cat, yeah. no one can guard Anthony Edwards. And, and Anthony Edwards got to his spot, you know, pulled up from, like, 17 or whatever, drilled a jumper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other ways the Timberwolves could attack, like, I guess I fear those a little bit more. Even Carl Anthony Towns, like, all right, if you get it to him, I mean, on the nail or, like, 20 feet from the bucket— that's like a, a virtual layup. That's what I fear It's just, just a straightaway cat being like, I can shoot uncontested over this Grizzlies lineup any single time I want. So like but he I, I doesn't, guess, Keith. But I he know. doesn't. Well he That's made the problem. I, he made I know you guys someone dribbled it off their foot and then there was the bad D ISO, but you guys did score going down yeah. the stretch uh, of of game five. I don't know. He, needs, don't know to isolate are... on, he needs to yeah.
2: isolate on the perimeter more. One, one yeah. way or the other, he needs to boost his usage. So if, yeah. if posting sure. up it is out of the question, then what Carl needs to do is he needs to play on the perimeter and he needs to go to his step-back game, Yeah, which he did. He hit two step-back threes in in the second half of, of the last game, which has always been an, a very effective tool from Carl that he does not use very often. He took 32 step-backs during the regular season, made 16 of them. I mean... There should be more of those. <laughs> yeah. It's something he's done. He's actually made step back threes throughout his career at a higher rate than he's made all of his other threes. It's something that has inexplicably not been used enough. And and that, if you're gonna put Darren or if you're gonna put Desmond on him or if you're gonna put Dylan on him, then on the perimeter, if you want to shoot Carl, like this is your choice because those guys are gonna move their feet and they're gonna get in the way of the drive, right? And they're gonna try and take charges and it's gonna get you in foul trouble. You're not gonna get called. For a charge on a step back three. You're literally moving away from making contact. And it just it has been something that hasn't made sense to me all season of why he doesn't go to that more. And and now Memphis is daring you to do it. Memphis is daring you to to, to play on the perimeter and create your own shots. And Carl has to do that in game six and seven.
1: If if you want a little secret, um, don't tell the team this. They, uh, <laughs> the Grizzlies are terrible at drawing charges. They usually refuse to even attempt to draw charges, I think I know. Cat has picked up some horrible fouls, uh, <laughs> obviously, but like I think he could drive with a little more impunity and not worry about it. The Grizzlies are so bad at just like just don't push anybody, Carl. Just keep your arms down. Yeah, I don't think but I don't the know Grizzlies if can are, do that. Keith, are, yeah, I don't know. You can do
2: that, man. Um, I don't know. Well,
1: what's the? I have in my mind from the Grizzlies' side. Listen, my adjustment is just play your best players from the Timberwolves' side. Is there adjustment? that like you think is maybe low-hanging fruit of like hey we got to get I don't know who it is get Beverly off the court more I don't know if that's a uh, up there is, is there an, somebody else you could depend on that you think the team sh- should be using more or a lineup change that the Timberwolves should go to
2: I think Finch is desperately trying to get Jordan McLaughlin in the mix as much as possible without upsetting the political pecking order <laughs> And and yeah. you start running into that, right? I mean, it kind of yeah. resolved itself. Like you could tell, Finch wanted to play J Mac to close that game because J Mac puts pace into the lead ball handler role in a way that Pat Bev doesn't, D'Lo doesn't, Ant does it, right? And Finch loves that. He loves that. And they got that to happen because Pat Bev filed out, right, like halfway or in the in the fourth quarter. So they gotta they gotta play J Mac for the majority of the quarter. But the adjustment for the Wolves is they need. To play the offense they're playing, but play it faster. And Jordan McLaughlin has always instilled that in the group. And if it's not just James, if it's not when J Max on the floor, you need D'Lo to push it up more. You need Pat to, Pat when he walks it up the floor and he like puts his two fingers up like horns. You know, we're like, yeah, we know we're running horns. You do that every time you bring the ball up. Carl at the elbow, the You know, yeah. it's like go. They got to go because when the Wolves slow down. Ever in transition or in the half court, that's what allows Memphis to load up. So the adjustment offensively, I think, is is go quicker in transition. That's obvious, but you can play with more pace in the half court as well. And I think that's where you start like countering some of the defensive answers. It feels like Memphis has has presented for this team.
1: Yeah, I have a healthy respect for uh, McLaughlin. Like I don't want him on the court. Grizzlies fans are always like are like are always booing Patrick Beverly and like cheering when he picks up fouls and I'm like, I want him to play uh, like like I don't know
2: what you're doing. Um, who's finally? So following? you haven't thought that like you haven't thought that the Pat Bev like Pat is going at Jaw yeah and that's making Jaw work on both ends. There's some that value is in that. There is the value
1: there. Patrick Beverly has absolutely 100 forced jaw into turnovers that jaw would not have otherwise committed i've this is one thing i've criticized john brent for his entire career as for lack of a better term i feel like he he acts too cool at times like he's too casual with the ball and if you go up against like a patrick beverly a guy whose entire shtick for lack of a better term uh is to like you know get up on you and pressure you jaw is prone to turn the ball over because he just doesn't want to like Chin the ball, or like go into a triple right. thing. You know, like like he's acting. He acts too casual at times. So yes, Patrick Beverly absolutely has been effective at times. But also when like it, it becomes fourth quarter, like it's it's nut up time. Yep. I'm like, yeah, let's let Patrick Beverly have the ball. That works. Like like yeah. I, I will I, I will take the results of this. Um, last thing,
2: can I say something related yeah. to that though? Because yeah. I think it's an important, you know, relative to game five, is that Pat fouled out. With two minutes left in the game, and I know a lot of people have Yeah. I, I I don't know about you, but the whole like ref thing, I'm like, I whatever. It's terrible both ways. I I don't <laughs> I have an opinion. I don't have an opinion. Dane, on that. I
1: saw a thread online on Twitter from a Timberwolves fan about look at these missed calls I that saw benefited Ja. They were all correct calls except for the uncalled push out of bounds. Okay?
2: Yes. The uncalled I saw that push threat. out of
1: bounds, sure. They don't call that very often. Every other one was like, that's
2: you need a better replay. You need a better angle, buddy. Those are all. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Right, Go ahead. <laughs> right. But 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 point is, point is, Pat was off the floor for one reason. He fouled out of the game. Yeah. And I you know, I tweeted out like when he f- weighed like his big aggressive like foul on Desmond Bain at the end of the second quarter that mm. picked up his third, which sent him to the bench. Like Pat has done that all year, where he does like take fouls when he's in foul trouble. I'm like, no, what? No, don't. That's not when we want this. And it, it was I thought it was costly in that game because. Pat fouls out with two minutes left in the game. And then, you know, as the two minutes play out, Ant hits the corner three from Jordan McLaughlin. Yeah. And, and now it's, you know, it's a tie game with three seconds left. And now the Wolves are putting Anthony Edwards on Ja Morant. And Anthony Edwards makes a terrible tactical decision trying to go to the top side to steal the ball there. Pat would not have done that, right? Yeah, like sure. Pat, Pat's strategy there, would, I mean, he might have fouled Ja, but he would have... His strategy would have been to square Jaw up and try and take away the drive, right? And I think in that situation, now Jaw's probably trying to come in just because there's a limited amount of time, and he's taking a pull-up 16, 70 footer Like, you live with that if you're the Wolves. So yeah. to that end, it's like, I, I'm i with you. Like, the Pat part of this has all been volatile, but they need him in the spots that they need him, and they probably need him to tone down some things in the spots that they don't need them. Does that make sense? No, it absolutely makes sense.
1: Uh, And I definitely trust your opinion more than my more casual (laughs) uh, Timberwolves observations. Uh, Last thing, just a a cliched question Um, because I got asked this uh, and my answer, um, it was like, who's the X factor? In your mind, who's the X factor for game six or a game seven? Because my answer was Ja Morant, and I don't know if that was fair. Like, does that count as an X factor? Like, if Ja Morant is regular season Ja, yeah, I think the Grizzlies are going to be fine. If Ja is the Jaw we've seen against the Timberwolves all year, essentially, where it, yeah. basically mainly bad, Um, like, that's that's a big problem with well, the Grizzlies. That's a credit to the
2: Wolves' defense. That's a credit sure. to the way they're guarding him. Sure. They're, they're forcing, not that it's like, it, when Ja's getting off of it, it's leading to, to you know, good offense it's leading to Clark lobs it's leading to Bain in the opposite corner those sort of things that are profitable for Memphis but the Wolves are good at that concept of bringing Carl up to the level Jaws trying to go laterally with it and they get it out of his hands you know so I don't think you can get regular season Jaw for like 48 minutes I don't think yeah. you can against that coverage it just they're forcing the ball out of his hands so they need like Jaw to in my mind to like go back and forth from like being regular season jaw super high usage getting downhill when he can when the splits are there to split that pick and roll but if not he does need to like he does need to get off of it at the same time which that puts a pressure on on the other players and then the wolves need to stop at least one of Bain or Clark which they are not you know they are not currently doing but I don't know for me Jaws is kind of like this sort of consistent in in my mind in this series. That's of interesting. Not too, not too great, but yeah. obviously not hurting them either. He's racking up assists. Every yep. time people are like, oh, you know, Josh shooting some terrible percentage or he only has nine points and it's the fourth quarter. Like, I'm like, well, look at the assist column. It's at 15, you know, like there's, I don't know. That, that's been a fascinating sort of, at, like, like you said, back to the regular season too. They were doing the same thing against John in the regular season, just trying to force the ball. Out of his out of his hands.
1: Yeah, I think John made a good adjustment. I don't know if it was purposeful, but he did at least f- finally start taking floaters again. Reid stopped. Yeah, tried to score that in between zone, and even when he missed them, you know Clark cleaned them up, and that's been like the Grizzlies' bread and butter all year. Is basically if you can
2: get if you can get Carl to show on that floater, yeah. right, If you can get him to jump to contest, now the, he's not going to block a floater, right? But he's he's up contesting it. So by the time the ball hits the rim. Like, that's when Carl is landing. So he needs to then, as the only competent rebounder on the team, he needs to land, pivot, jump, and go get it. While Clark is just bad out of hell. Like, he's not going to win that. Carl's not going to win that, you know? So definitely, like, as much as the Grizzlies can split that high coverage and get into the lane, even if it's those, like, Tyus floaters that are really, like, turnover saves where he just kind of throws it at the backboard, you know? Like, that... You just get that because a great offense for Memphis right now is just putting it on the glass and letting not just Clark. I mean, Tyus is getting offensive rebounds. Jaws getting offensive That's rebounds. Right. I mean, That's they, right. they can they can they can really they can really punish the Wolves with that. So get there, right? You got to get there as much as possible. Yeah.
1: Well, Dane, thanks, man. Really I really appreciate it. Do I need an, an X factor? Yeah. Do an X factor. Give me an X factor. I I I just did mine, and we just focused on it. In your mind, who's the X factor for game I'll six? I'll go from the Minnesota side.
2: Yeah. Um, it's gotta be one of the Wolves shooters that are not shooting right now or or playing well. And I would put that Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the Wolves in games this season, when you get like five six made threes from Malik Beasley or D'Angelo Russell, that's tough. I mean, it's it's tough because what what helps is those guys play like not when Carl and Ant are out there a lot. So there's always this like, you know, baseline of when Carl is on the floor, right? The offense is going to be pretty good. But then if you can make all like the non-Carl minutes or the tired Carl minutes be surrounded by D'Angelo hitting threes and Malik hitting spot-up threes, that's that's when the Wolves offense is like, okay, this is this is one of the best offenses that you could play for 48 minutes. So I mean Malik had an awesome first game and as it's been for a lot of the season he's he's an emblem of the volatility of of this team as well and and same with D'Angelo, right like I I think Grizzlies fans are probably thinking like yes is is much D'Angelo as possible right and 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 you should but there is this like 20% thing where DeLo just goes off right he averaged 31 a game yeah, we know. against the Grizzlies <laughs> yeah we yeah. Yeah. yeah like that is that is still possible and it would not shocked me at all to see Delo do that in, in game six, particularly if Dylan isn't guarding him. Exactly. Like, yeah. If Ky- that's why going to Kyle in game, what was that? When Kyle started
1: uh, it game, was game three. Yeah. Game three, he started. Yep.
2: It gave, that gave Delo a place to both hide on defense and then situationally it, it took, you know, Dylan off. He got isolation situations on Kyle, which that is, that's valuable for him too, because pretty clearly like, if Delo has got to guard Bain on defense, which he does against the normal starting lineup, and he's guarded by Brooks, you're not getting a good Delo game if right. he has to do both of those things. So if he can find a crack to not be guarding a good player and to be guarded by not a good player... Which this kind of goes back to your point of, like, stop playing bad players, Memphis. You <laughs> yeah. know, because yeah. that, that, that's how you could let D'Lo go off and get, you know, 30 in one of these games. And I don't, if D'Lo gets 30 tomorrow, Minnesota's probably going to win that game.
1: Yeah. As far as the volatility guys, Malik Beasley, I also, like, can, can I include a, a Jaden McDaniels? Like, whenever he hits his threes, too, it's just like, maybe he's too much yeah. of a, that's too much of an aberration to hope for him to make... Two threes. It's kind of like Jaron.
2: It's kind of like Jaron Jackson, where you're like, "Well, that doesn't look good." Well, you know, Um, oh yeah, but (laughs) but like it goes in, you know, like low thirties. Like you, you, I think you still want Jaden to be taking them because if he is taking them, he's got some off the dribble game that he can go to as well. You know, where now he can kind of pump and go. The problem Jaden and Jaron are actually very similar. They're the two two of the most prolific followers in the league, which throws <laughs> them out of their rhythm. But when those guys are in rhythm and they're defending Jaron's blocking shots or Jaden's, you know, locking dudes up on the perimeter, then those guys become they those I think both of them are X factors in in game six if they cannot get in foul trouble. Now that's a like a 10% proposition <laughs> that either of them won't be in foul trouble. But if they aren't like that is that that's another X factor for sure in this game.
1: Yeah. Well, now I think we wrapped up all our X-Factors.
2: Uh, yeah, we just go through man, the whole roster? I, I, I just Jarrett assume, Culver. Jarrett I Culver. I just assume game
1: six is going to be drunk again, and then if we get a game oh, yeah. seven, uh, a nuts uh, Sunday afternoon wildness. Uh, Got to be, man. If the Turbos take care of business um, in game six, which there's no reason to, to not think they, they, they will uh, – I know the Grizzlies have some inherent scars from game sevens in their playoff history. So I think maybe the pressure definitely will switch to the Grizzlies. So it's imperative, and, you know, and, and to the push. Timberwolves
2: are too like It's a free roll, man. Yeah, it experienced even like the, the idea of a game seven won't scare them because they haven't done it before. Like it maybe should scare them. Yeah. But I, I think I, I think you'll get good wolves yeah. in, in a game seven situation. So yeah, if I'm Memphis, like, it's going to be tough to win at Target Center, but I don't think you could just, like, roll it out and be like, all right, let's just get it back to the crib for Game 7. Oh, like yeah, definitely you, no. You know, like, you got to – I'd be scared of the Wolves in the Game 7. I really would. I'm scared. Just, hey, listen, you've,
1: you, you, I have yeah. I have a healthy fear of the Wolves. You don't have to convince me. I'm scared of the Wolves. <laughs> I don't like it. I want it to be over. Um, <laughs> Anyways, thanks, Dane. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I look forward to having you on again sometime.
2: Yes, for sure, man. Thanks for doing it. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll see you you back in Memphis for Game 7. You never know. (laughs) All right, man.
1: Okay, that's the full episode for today. Hope you enjoy your Game 6 on Friday night. Go to a watch party either in Memphis or in Nashville. Enjoy the game on Friday. Talk to you guys soon. Go Grizz.
0: Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?